You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. We are our second installment of our series on discipleship called The Call. Okay, and, um, and I'd like to read a couple of uh, passages for us as our main text. So I'd like us for us to stand up and uh, let's all read from uh, the book of Mark. Chapter 1, if you have your Bibles with you, please open it to the book of Mark. Chapter 1, and in verse 17, it says there, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. The next passage we want to read is in Matthew 28, starting from verse 19. And it says there, back up one verse, Verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, this is after he resurrected, and he was about to ascend to the Father in heaven. And he said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We pray that uh, you would open our hearts, our minds, and our, in our every being, Lord, to receive the truth and the revelation of your word in our lives today so that we may learn it, obey it, and live it. Lord, we just thank you. And... Um, Lord, what a privilege it is to live our lives according to your word. And Father, we just commit this time to you. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all have your seats. All right, so we are right now, as I said, in the, in the, in the second installment of this, of this series. And uh, last week, we talked about the call of Jesus to everyone to follow him, for everyone to follow him. We are all called to be disciples of Christ. Now, not everybody answers the call, but the call is given to everybody. Okay? And discipleship is not just, not just a concept of just uh, having friends or being part of a church. Discipleship begins with us following Jesus Christ. And that's what we looked at last week. And we looked at um, following Jesus with all our hearts. Discipleship begins with following Christ. Okay, and like what we said last week, the call to follow Jesus is a both a call to die to ourselves and a call to live for Christ. And today, we're going to talk about discipleship as a call to the lost. A, a natural result or a direct result of following Christ is for us to call others to be disciples of Christ as well. Just as Christ whom we are following, called us to him, we are also to imitate what Christ has done, and we are to continue his work to call others to follow him as well. We're not calling others to follow us. We're calling others to follow him. That is very important to understand. Do you, you get that? So here in Victory, when we say we make disciples, we don't make our own disciples. We make disciples for Jesus Christ. We encourage people to pursue Christ on their own, so, but we help them along the, along the way. So we're looking at the call to the lost, and uh, when we 
we talk about lost things. How many of you have ever lost something in your lives? Have you ever lost something in your life? I mean, have you ever lost something that is not really that important? How many of you lost something and you couldn't care less? You, what he said, oh, oh, I, I left my whatever, I left my jacket there. Oh, well. And you don't even bother looking for it, right? So, but how many of you lost something that was very important or something valuable and everything had to stop and you had to go look for that thing? How many of you experienced that? Okay. When you lose something valuable, your world stops and you, you look for it. Okay. So, what are some of the things that you, some, some of the valuable things that you lost that uh, you had to look for it? Keys. Okay. Passport. There you go. That's very important. Especially if you're in the airport, you lost a passport. It's funny, my, <coughs> my um, thing, uh, speaking of passports, um, when we first moved here to the States in 1987 with my mom and my dad, our parents, and um, our port of entry was San Francisco. Okay, so we went through uh, immigration already, and so, but we're connecting, we were going to our connecting flight to Seattle because that's where we were going to reside. So they were checking our, our carry-ons, and so during the security check, Every time I went through that scanner, it would, it would make that sound. So I took, took out my, my watch and my, my belt, and it would still make a sound. And the guy said, empty your pockets. So I emptied my pockets. And so there were some coins there and I guess some set of keys for one of our, one of our uh, luggages, I guess. And some candy, some menthol candy back that was uh, well-known back in the Philippines. Okay, it's the, the candy, you may not know it now, it's called stork. How many of you, how many of you are familiar with stork? Okay, <coughs> so, so I laid it out there right in front of the guy, and the guy who's been speaking straight English begins to speak in Tagalog. Stork! And he said something that, uh, he said, He said, I haven't seen anything like that. I haven't tasted it for a long time. And I was looking at him, he's like, do you want it? You can have it. Really? Thank you, thank you. Really? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I gave it to him, and so the same case was happening to my dad. He was also being scanned, and things were, and the thing was beeping. So we put our stuff back, our belt, our watches, and all the things in our pockets, and we, we went to our gate. We proceeded to our gate, and as we were waiting for our flight, uh, it was uh, like an hour and a half uh, layover. 30 minutes into into that uh, layover time, the guy whom I gave those, uh, my remaining uh, storks to, I saw him running with, with a briefcase. And then he was actually looking for us. And my dad, he found me, he saw me and he saw my dad. Sir, you left your briefcase. And in that briefcase were all our passports, were all our, <laughs> all our, all our uh, some important documents, some travel papers, and um, also traveler's checks at the time and my dad's credit cards. And he had totally forgotten about it. So can you imagine? And my dad was tur all suddenly turned pale. <laughs> so he didn't realize that what he had lost, you know. And a lot of people today think of, you know, live life as if they've not lost anything. But as far as uh, so we look at heaven's perspective, as we look at how God sees our lives, we are so caught up with this world thinking that we define our lives when the reality is 
we have lost the very definition of life. We are so far away from God because of our selfishness, because of our sins, because of how we define our lives apart from his definition that we don't even think that we are lost. But we are all lost because of sin. You know, all of us have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at the person next to you. Do you think that's a person who sinned? We all have sinned. And all of us have fallen short. We have been separated from God. And no matter what we try to do, no amount of good works, no amount of re religious works can bridge that gap because it is a supernatural gap. Only God can bridge that gap. No man can make his way to God by his own works. Okay? And so we are all lost. And Jesus came... He is the Son of God. He is God himself. And he took on the form of man. He became man so that he can reach out, he can save, and, and seek the lost. And he has done his ministry for three years, and now he's calling his disciples to continue what he has been doing, and that is to reach out to lost people. Okay? Out there, everyone who does not know Christ is a lost person. It doesn't matter what religious affiliation you may have. It doesn't matter what religious belief you may have. If Christ is not the focal point of your life, it's, and if Christ is not in your life, and if you don't put your faith in Christ, the Bible defines that as a lost person. Okay? So at least we're clear here. Okay? And God wants us to reach out to lost people. How many of you were lost before? Okay? How many of you are still lost today? We are lost, but thank God... Uh, God has found us through Christ, and Christ has found us, okay? So why is it so important for Christ to reach out to lost people? Why did he value lost people? And that's, that's what we want to do. Why must we value the lost? Okay, so as we will look at this, as we look to answer this question, let's first look at Jesus' heart for lost people, Okay? Jesus has a heart for the lost, and we can see this in several stories. Actually, if you read, if you read the entire Bible, you see God's heart for those who have deviated from him, all the way from, from creation, okay? God has been, uh, after man has fallen, uh, fallen into sin, God has been on a mission. God has been on a rescue mission, if you will, okay, to rescue man who has fallen, because man cannot save himself. Tell the person next to you, you cannot save yourself. If you can save yourself by your good works, by your religious affiliation, do you think there is a need for Jesus to die on the cross? Because if there was any other way for us to be saved, then what Jesus did was unnecessary. Does that make sense? But because... There is no other way than what Jesus did is the only way. That's why when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. He was actually speaking the truth. There is no other way but by faith in Christ. Okay? And we come to him in his terms. That's what we talked about last week. And we are calling people, you know, to respond to Christ the same way we responded to him. Okay? So let's look at a few stories of Jesus exemplifying his heart for lost people. 
There are so many stories in the Bible, in the Gospels, but we're just going to look at a few of them. First is in Matthew 9. This is when Jesus called his first disciples, okay? And one of his first disciples was Matthew, okay, the author of the, the Gospel of Matthew, okay? And so here it says there, in verse, starting from verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, let's stop, pause there. In their culture and in their context, tax collectors were lumped together with sinners. In the Jewish culture, you do not mix with tax collectors and sinners because tax collectors were seen as or one of the worst of the sinners, and at the same time, they were seen as traitors, okay? Because during this time, they were under the Roman occupation, and these were Jews who were collecting taxes for the Roman government, for the Roman Empire. And so they were seen as traitors, and so they were seen as outcasts. So you, are, you were not supposed to associate with tax collectors, okay? And many of the tax collectors were corrupt and selfish that they basically gained a lot of ill-gotten wealth. So basically they... They helped themselves as they collected the tax. That's why we see a lot of them were very corrupt. And that was very obvious to everybody in the culture. And so tax collectors were seen as an outcast. You don't associate with them, especially if you are very religious. And they were branded as sinners. Okay, to be seen eating with, with one, to be in table with one, that's going to raise suspicions on you. And that's going to cause people to think that you are one of them, that you're a sinner as well. And so people will avoid you like the plague. Okay, so a little cultural uh, uh, understanding there. So when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, these were the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Okay, so they were, they were the ones who were the vanguards of of the law they were so protective of the law of God they were teaching the law of God that they've built so many uh, so many traditions religious traditions to uphold the law to the point that after so many centuries that they uphold the traditions more than they uphold the law of the law of God okay they are more committed to their traditions okay rather than to the spirit of the law so the Pharisees the religious people of the day they're the ones who reacted. It's interesting. It is always the religious people who will always react. You know, if Jesus were alive today and he would hang out and he would minister to sinners, it would be the religious people who would be the first to react against that. How will you know if you have that religious spirit, that pharisaical spirit in you? When you see a sinner and you go, don't go there. You don't go there. That's you, he, that person's gonna contaminate you. You have to maintain your purity, okay? So, oh, do not associate with that, with that person. Most religious people, all their friends are religious people as well, and they don't have friends who are who do not know God. They just keep to themselves. They keep to that holy bubble, and anyone outside of that, they shun. They ridicule and they mock because it, they're not like them. 
when you look down on people who do not know God, when you say you, you know God and you look down on them, you don't really know God. You're just religious. Okay? Awfully quiet here. You are just religious. You don't really know God. When you look down on people and you say you know God, because if you really know God, you will not look down on people. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Who needs a physician? Those who are sick. How many of you are feeling a bit sick? I've been feeling a bit sick this week. It's, I've been, uh, for some reason, the last two weeks and this week, the last three weeks, I've been, all things are coming out. And I guess uh, my body's telling me you need to slow down. You need to relax. You probably need a break. Okay, because those of you who know me well, I'm, I'm really intense. Okay, I'm really, I like to have fun, but when it comes to, to work, I'm really intense. Sometimes I, you know, and I think a lot about a lot of things too much. Okay, so, and it's probably God telling me, relax, sit down, you know, and um, have a break. So we're scheduling, I'm actually looking at scheduling, a, I'm scheduling an appointment with a doctor uh, this week just to have, have me checked out, okay? So, so when you're sick, you need a doctor, but if you're fine, you don't really go to the doctor unless it's your, it's your annual checkup or you know, it's your regular checkup time. But Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. A lot of religious people know how to sacrifice. They sacrifice their time. They sacrifice their, their treasures, their resources. They sacrifice even their dreams. But here is, here is what trumps sacrifice. Mercy. Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire. This is what God said in the Old Testament. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Your sacrifice will be good. If it is undergirded by an attitude of mercy, when you're merciful towards others. Because when you're merciful towards others, that means you are reflecting who God is because he's a God of mercy. Aren't you glad that we are recipients of his mercy? And here Jesus said, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The very reason I came here to this earth is not to call those who think of themselves as righteous, but those who are sinners. The problem with religious people is they don't think they are sinners. But as you look at the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus in the gospels, who were the people whom Jesus really, really um, spoke against? It was religious people because they were more concerned with religion than a relationship with God. They're more concerned with tradition rather than and sacrifice and, and the trappings of what the religious order today was. They were more concerned with those things rather than being merciful, being compassionate. Religious people need to understand that they are as bad a sinner as anybody else. A lot of people think, oh, see, that's a serial killer. That's a worse sinner. I'm just one who struggles with lust every now and then. Or you would say, I'm just one who struggles with greed every now and then. But serial killer, that's worse. Many times, we, because we all feel the guilt of sin, 
we all try to alleviate, you know, that guilt. And we try to, you know, minimize uh, the shame by deceiving ourselves and thinking that we're okay. That we're better off than others, right? I mean, come on. We're, that's, the, that's human nature. So if you say, I don't do that, <laughs> then you just exemplified another aspect of human nature, which is, which is lying. Because we, we know either you're, re- you're a good liar or you're really deceived. Okay, but, but we are actually all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And we all are objects of mercy. And God in his love extends mercy to us so that we can know him. A lot of people respond, but a lot of people also do not respond to the call. Jesus came to call not the righteous, but he came to call the sinners. In Luke 19 is a story of Zacchaeus, another tax collector. He was reviled by his countrymen, but he was rich, and, uh, but he was a short man. He was short of stature. And uh, he heard that Jesus was entering his town. He was passing through. And he had heard about Jesus and what he has done, his teachings and his miraculous works. So Jesus intrigued Zacchaeus. Probably it just by hearing about Jesus stirred up something in him that he was longing for, and that's why he wanted to see him. And so... Let's pick up the story. He entered Jericho. This is Jesus entering Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector in that region. Can you imagine if a tax collector is rich? This, is, this guy is filthy rich. Okay? Verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So a man of small stature. In society's eyes, in his eyes, he was a person of big stature because of his status, social status. But physically, he was small in stature. But in the presence of this Rabbi, in the presence of this paragon, his stature didn't seem much to the point that if he thought he was a man of stature, he was important, he would say, make way, make way, make way. He would be in front. But since the crowd didn't respect him, he couldn't see Jesus, so he went up a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus. Can you imagine an official, a city official? You know, when an important person passes by, normally they would be the ones in front, right? But if you feel like you're important and you're not given that importance, that'll dawn on you and you, you'll say, it doesn't really matter. And so if you see someone greater than you, then you'll do everything to see that person. That's what Zacchaeus did. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Here we go again. When they saw Jesus, of all the people he would speak to, he spoke to the chief tax collector. And he, they go, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 
Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So you see in both stories, we see Jesus was not concerned at all with social status. He was not concerned at all with what others thought. He was very, very resolute with his mission. And he came to seek and to save the lost. You see, his heart for the lost is seen all throughout the Gospels in his parables. When he spoke of the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son, all of those parables spoke of lost things that have been found. You know, Amazing Grace, there's a line there that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Once blind, being lost, I was blind, but now that I'm found, I see. Lost people do not see. Lost people are blind. The only life they know is the life they have defined. But they don't know that it is a life marred by sin. And Jesus came and is offering real life, not the pseudo life, not the sin, sinful life. Okay? And uh, we can see that his heart for lost people. And Jesus has a heart for lost people. And, and that heart for the lost people fueled his mission. And that heart for the lost actually translated to a call for his followers to follow. Okay? So he has called lost people. And those who follow him, he has called them as well to do what he has done, to call others to him. And so part of following Christ, how many of you are disciples of Christ? You follow Jesus according to his terms, not your terms, okay? And if you are a follower, a genuine follower of Christ, part of what you are doing, part of your life is calling others to Christ. You see, life, the Christian life is not just about you coming to church and being blessed and feeling good and being happy and singing hallelujah, praise the Lord, and uh, seeing the, 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 the brother and the sister there and just everything is, you know, peachy. That's not what Christianity is. Well, there is there's a, a world out there that's lost and it's dying and they need to hear the gospel that you have heard. And they desperately need the salvation that you have received. And Christ is calling them to him through us, his disciples. Okay? So here, we see here the call of Jesus to his disciples to reach the lost. And, and in Matthew 9, we see here that call is uh, reverberating here. It says in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, I want you to see this one, he had compassion for them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Many of us, when we see crowds, we, s we stay away from the crowds, right? Oh, there's so many people here, I don't want to go there. But Jesus had compassion for them because he saw them 
in their real state. They were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Lost people are harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Nobody leading them. And if no one's leading them, then they just wander off. They go wherever. There's a saying that goes, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And that's what lost people do. They fall for anything. You present something there that, that makes them just think a little bit. They believe that's the philosophy of life. That's, what, that's the definition of life. There's only one truth. There's only one standard. There's only one definition of life. Then he said, verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest. He looked at crowds. He had compassion because they were harassed and helpless. And he said to his disciples, the harvest, that's harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's, it's interesting. In the early days of victory in the Philippines, when there were only two Metro Manila churches, the Makati Church and the U-Belt Church. How many of you were, were from the U-Belt Church? Nancy, U-Belt people, raise your hand. There you go. The U-Belt folks are here. How many were you from the Makati congregations? Okay, so, okay, there you go. So the Makati congregation uh, at the time, we had air conditioning. The U-Belt Center did not have air conditioning. But they had more people. Okay, so, so every time we would go there, the Makati folks would go, oh, no, it's, it's going to be hot. So we, we, we would all go there you know, wearing shorts. And, and uh, the guys, our friends from the U-Belt, like Pastor Robert was there. They would be in their slacks and their ties, and we would go there in shorts. It's funny. So, and because there were there was so many people, and there was no air conditioning, and people were sweating. I mean, you would say that's really not a, a pleasant aroma, right? Some of us would go, what's this? Ooh. And then, the, and then some of our friends in the, in, from the U-Belt would go, you're not used to this. Smell it again. That's a smell of the harvest. <laughs> Pastor Robert and I, we were just together th this week in uh, Anaheim, and we were just recounting some of those days, and we were just, he mentioned that, and I remember that. I was, uh, we were laughing so hard. So, but anyway, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And many times when we pray that prayer, guess who he's going to send? It's like many of us go, Lord, send laborers. Lord, here am I. Send him. Here am I. Send her. Okay, so. <laughs> but many times when we pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. We go, thank you for praying that. Now, would you be willing to be the answer to that prayer? Jesus is telling his disciples, see that? That's the harvest. They're harassed and helpless, but from heaven's perspective, that's harvest. And when you see a, a field white unto harvest, you don't see that as waste. You see that as, you know, farmers are happiest when they see the harvest, and especially when it's time to reap, right? And us as followers of Christ, we are to rejoice in the fact that we've been called into the Lord's harvest field. So our Christianity is not meant to live on our own. We're going to talk about that more next week, fellowshipping with fellow believers. 
but we are to ask the Lord of Harvest to send out workers. You see, if you're a follower of Christ, part of your life is actively engaging people, lost people, calling them into the kingdom. Matthew 28, we read this a while ago. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See the call there, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. Go, go to all the nations. Make disciples of them. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what you have learned from me, teach them. As you have obeyed me, teach them. Everything that I have commanded you, everything I have taught you, you teach them so that they can follow me. The Apostle Paul sees it this way. We are Christ's ambassadors. If you are a genuine follower of Christ, you are his ambassador. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. That means God making his appeal to the world to be reconciled to him. And he's making that appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is our mission. So as we look at resolving that question I asked earlier, why do we value the lost? Why must we value lost people? It's for the simple reason that Jesus valued them. We value lost people because Jesus did. If we follow Christ, that means his heart is our heart. That means we learn to have his desires to be our desires. That means his character is slowly becoming ours, that we become more like him. That means his heart is our heart. So if he desires to see lost people saved, that should be our desire as well. But you don't understand, Pastor Neil, a lot of these lost people, they irritate me. Oh, yeah, like it didn't irritate anybody. It doesn't really matter if a person is someone you like or dislike. If that person is lost, then you engage that person for the sake of Christ because Jesus loved him, loved her, and died for that person. Okay? So we value lost people, and we seek what we value. If we don't seek out the lost, that just tells us that we don't value them. Jesus values them, but if we don't actively engage in seeking out lost people, then we don't value what Christ values. We have to learn that. If we are genuine followers of Christ, we have to value what he values. Okay, so if we value the lost, we will be intentional. As we've seen in what Jesus has done, he was resolute. He was, he was intentional in reaching out to lost people. So if we're followers of Christ, that means we should be intentional as well. That we should seek out for opportunities to engage with lost people. How many of you, uh, there is a Starbucks that you frequent uh, in a week for going to work or after, after your work? And then there's that particular barista that you always see there. You know what? Instead of just seeing that person there, you know, you've, you've been there for going there through that store for six months and you still haven't known that person's name. Why don't you take a few steps further? Get to know the person's name and talk to that person, okay? You don't know what can happen, but you should be looking for opportunities to engage people. 
So I'm not telling you, you know, but I'm not the friendly type, Pastor Neil. It, it doesn't really matter if you're friendly or not. What matters is a heart that reaches out to people. It doesn't matter. If you reach out to one, then that's great. Reaching out to one is better than not reaching anyone at all. But if you're the gregarious type, you're the friendly type, then use that for the gospel. Amen. Come on now. Come on now. If you're, if you're the life of the party, use that for the gospel. In, be intentional. Remember that encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus was traveling through Samaria, and he had to go to Samaria, and then he was tired, and he was there by the well. And then his disciples said, we'll, we'll get lunch. Stay here. Rest up. And then while Jesus was resting, a woman, it was in the middle of the day. It was, it was high noon, I guess. So this woman comes out to draw water, a Samaritan woman. And Jesus engages the woman in conversation. Now, in culture, you never do that. In their culture, first of all, you never engage with a woman, you know, unless you know the person. Secondly, Jews do not engage with Samaritans. So culturally, Jesus violated the norms. But he was clear and intentional with his mission. So every, every time he encountered a person, that's an opportunity. Every person you encounter, don't just let them be just a face that passes through. Come on now. How many of you are you're in a gym? Enroll in a gym and you, you pump it up there. A lot of you are, are in a gym, you pump it up, and all you look at is yourself. You know, the first time, you know how, you know, you know how the first timers, they, they do this, and then they look at themselves and see if there's something that happened already. <laughs> Be intentional. Some of you are like in a Zumba class, you know, or in a whatever. A little bit, you're in a Zumba class right there. Build relationship, but the intention is one day. One day, one of you, or maybe two of you, will come to know Christ. I'm building relationally with you. That's my second point. If we value the lost, we will be relational. We will not be snobs. We will not be religious hypocrites. When they're just saying, oh, it's funny how religious people react. I remember some people, you know, we were in a line. I don't know. It's, and then some of my friends were there. We were lining somewhere. And then one of those people in line were cussing so bad. He was cussing so bad. Like, and my friends were like, every time they would he would cuss, stop it. I can't stand it. It's defiling me. You're living in the fallen world. We're supposed to be a beacon of hope. And I've had people we meet. I've met some people the first time. And then we talk, and they would cuss, and they would say a lot of bad things. And I'm like, okay. And then, oh, by the way, uh, he's a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. I said, oh, I'm so sorry for them. Don't be sorry. Be who you are. That's who you are, right? Yeah. But you're a pastor. It doesn't matter. I mean, as, as Christians, please, let's expect sinners to behave like sinners. Come on now. Come on now. Okay? And we establish relationship with them. We invest in relationships. A lot of people think of church as a place where perfect people should be. And it's funny how a lot of Christians are so shocked that they get offended in church. That this so-called Christian in my church does things that so offends me. 
And it's because we think church is a place for perfect people. Now, how many of you are perfect people here? Raise your hand if you're perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect. Okay? Like one guy said, I used to be conceited, but now I'm perfect. You see, expecting the church to be a perfect place, that's a wrong expectation because the church is not a place of perfected people yet. We are being perfected. You know, if your expectation is, I should be with in a place where people are perfected, what you're looking for is heaven, but not here in the church because we are still being perfected. We're called out from sin, but we're still being perfected. Tim Keller said this, and I tweeted this a couple of months ago. The church is not a museum of for pristine saints, but a hospital ward for broken sinners. We develop relationships with sinners. We welcome sinners. The church is a place that they should feel welcome. The church is a place, because we are all sinners still, but by the grace of God, he's called us saints. But those who don't know God, we welcome them here. This should be a place where they feel safe. This should be a place where they feel challenged by Christ and not my people. And, you know, we're all growing. We still sin from time to time. And our sin may offend people, can offend people. But the church is a place where we can manifest our Christianity. If we get offended here, what does Jesus expect you to do? Forgive. Be merciful. Okay? And so that's why we relate with sinners even outside. We establish relationship with them. And if we value the lost like Jesus did, we will be missional. That means we will be on mission at all times. When we reach out to them, it's intentional and we build relationship with them is for the end goal of proclaiming the gospel to them. And the time will come that they will hear the gospel. Probably before they hear the, the proclamation of the gospel, they should have seen it lived out in your lives so that when you speak to them, they've already seen it in your life. We should be missional at, at this point. It's not uh, our agenda is eventually share Christ and the power of his love and his transforming work at the cross. So you see, the call of God to his disciples is to go and make disciples. Okay, and, and Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So as he was sent, he is sending us. So we are on a mission, a mission not to be religious, but to genuinely engage this lost world with the love of Christ, not with religion. Of course, we will speak the truth in love. We will speak the truth in love. We will present the truth. This is what they need. But we need to present this with love and compassion, mercy, and grace. As Jesus did. So the motivation in reaching out to lost people as we are sent by Christ is the same motivation that he had, which is love. That's why every time he looked at sinners, he had compassion. That's why when he looked at those people who were shouting and rebelling at, his, at him while he was crucified, his heart was broken, but yet 
it was overflowing with love, mercy, and compassion. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was out of his love for them. And this reaching out, reaching out to people, reaching out to the lost with the motivation of love, that actually fulfills the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the great and first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is a gra the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets speak of the entire Old Testament scriptures. For Jesus at the, at the time, there was no New Testament yet. So when the law and the prophets are spoken of in the Gospels, it refers to the entire scripture. What fulfills the entire scriptures? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. As you follow Christ, and he has called you, and you're becoming like him. You become like him in his love for the lost. And your love for God, if it's genuine, will translate into a genuine love to reach out to others, especially the lost. Does that make sense? And see, I'd like to leave you with this main point. Disciples are called to value and reach out to the lost the way Jesus did. And he did it with God's love and compassion. Let me read to you an excerpt from Bill Hybels' book, Just Walk Across the Room. The average person takes about 10,000 steps a day. In a lifetime, that's four trips around the earth. However, the question of the hour is, will he use his steps wisely? What if 10 steps across a room could impact eternity? That thought stunned me as I listened to a Muslim tell me Tell me his story of how he came to Christ. He was at a party standing alone when a Christ follower from the other side of the room broke away from his clique of friends and introduced himself. The two became instant friends. Over the course of time and after many spiritual conversations, the Muslim felt compelled to pray to God and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. This happened all because a follower of Christ was willing to walk 10 steps across a room. All it takes is a willingness. See, God is able to change the hearts of people. Are we willing, though, to be used by him? You see, he will fulfill his purpose, and it's a privilege to be used by God. He calls us to be his instruments, and if we say no, there's always somebody else who will answer the call. I wouldn't want to be that person who is called and say no to what Jesus says. Would you like to be that person? Jesus calling and you say no to him? You see, in Romans 10, and I'll end with this, it says there, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Jesus is issuing a call to his followers. Go and reach out to the lost. Love them and value them the way he did.
he's all calling us on this mission because this is his mission. And if we follow him, his mission is our mission. His heart is our heart. Will you answer that call? Will you answer that call or will you build your own kingdom? Let's all stand and pray right now. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Lord, you value lost people. We know that because we've been lost before. Many of us here were lost. But because you valued lost people, Lord, you've reached out to us. And Lord, by your grace, we've responded. And now we are recipients of your mercy, of your grace, your love, your salvation, your redemption, your justification. We are recipients of what you have done on that cross. And it has transformed our lives and brought us into real life. And what a privilege it is to be saved, to be taken out of sin and no longer have to fear the punishment for sin because you saved us. And what a privilege it is to follow you and to live our lives the way it is designed to be. And Lord, today, as we pursue you, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that your heart would become ours, that your heartbeat would become ours. Lord, that we would not just build our own lives, now that we are saved, Lord, we want the best life. We want the blessed life. Lord, what we want is a life that follows you. And, uh, and to have a heart that beats your heartbeat. And Lord, your, your heart is for the lost. You came down. You loved the world so much. And you didn't want us to perish. Oh, that's why you came down, died on that cross, taking our sins, taking our punishment, taking our death. You died in our place so that you can save us. Lord, you rose again from the dead and you've offered salvation. And you went through all that because of your great love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. And Lord, today we have everlasting life. My prayer is that we would have Your heart, the heart for the lost. If Your heart is cold, or if You don't have a heart for the lost, and You want to have Jesus' heart for the lost, would You lift up Your hand? First of all, Lord, we repent for having a cold heart. We repent for just looking at being blessed. But Lord, Christianity is not just be about being blessed, but it's about, about you and about pursuing your call in our lives. And may we answer the call to the lost, that we would value them and love them. Lord, I pray that you would make engaging with lost people lord make this our mission lord make this a a lifestyle lord as we live our lives lord is engaging with lost people is not just an event lord but as we live our lives as we go to work lord as we talk to the baristas in starbucks lord or in a coffee shop lord i pray that you would make it a, make make it for us a lifestyle to reach out to them with the end goal 
of presenting you. And I pray, God, that we would live out our lives genuinely before them. So when then we proclaim your gospel, they have already seen the gospel in our lives, true in our lives. Lord, I pray as we go to our workplace, Lord, that we would not just sit beside our work, Lord, our, our, Lord, our office mate, without engaging them with the gospel, with the, with the love of Christ. Lord, those in our neighborhood, those in our schools, wherever we are, wherever we go, Lord, every person is valuable to you, Lord. Every lost soul is valuable to you. Help us to understand that so that we would have a life, that we, that we would develop, by your grace, a lifestyle of reaching out to the lost. Lord, I pray, God, that you would convict us and stir our hearts so that we, Lord, we would do what you've done. You said, Lord, you said to your disciples, you've seen me do these great things, I tell you the truth. Greater things shall you do when I go to the Father. You have ordained for us to have great works. You've ordained for, for us to meet with certain people. I pray that we would not miss those opportunities and not just live and pass, pass by them just by being concerned with our own lives. I pray, God, that we would see the harvest. Open our eyes. Help us to see the harvest is ripe. The harvest is plentiful, Lord, and help us to see that the laborers are few and that we would volunteer and say, Lord, here am I. Send me to your harvest field. Use me to be your instrument to reap the harvest. Lord, I pray that as we pray these prayers, Lord, these prayers, Lord, that you would indeed work in our hearts, do a miracle in our hearts, Lord, that our hearts would be transformed so that we would live this lifestyle for your glory and for your honor. Jesus, you are worthy of Lord, to receive all glory and honor. And we will gladly engage the world missionally, Lord, to present you to them so that you will receive the reward of your suffering. Jesus, we honor you, we glorify you. Thank you for this privilege of calling us to the lost. We lift up these prayers to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God.